The Lord's Prayer opens with two ordinary words, Our Father. But the power of those simple words is anything but ordinary. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines the deeply personal nature of God's love for you, as a father loves his child. If you didn't think the creator of the universe could love you individually, listen as David introduces today's message, The Relationship of Prayer. Well, you know, the the Lord's Prayer begins with these two words, Our Father. And uh, that's the relationship. It's a father-child relationship when we pray. And we're going to talk about that today as we open our Bibles together. Hey, December the 28th, which is at the end of the calendar year, we take a cruise to the Caribbean. Uh, We'll be there through the 4th of January, obviously sharing New Year's Eve together. And uh, you can get information about that from Turning Point. Go to our website. There you'll find all the details. We also have some rallies coming up this fall, and I just want to give you the the day and the place, and we'll give you more details as we get closer to the to the time. But uh, you can mark these days down and put a note on your refrigerator so you don't forget. October the 6th will be in Raleigh, North Carolina. October the 13th in Orlando, Florida. October the 20th in Greenville, South Carolina. And Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York. This is our 40th year anniversary rally series. We're going to have some really special things going on in these arenas, and we'll keep you up to date as the information becomes more available to us. Are you ready for some more teaching on the Lord's Prayer? I'm ready to begin, too. Let's talk about the relationship of prayer from Matthew 6, 9. The prayer that our Lord taught his disciples begins with praise, and it ends with praise. And in between are the priorities, the provisions, and the protections. God wants us to remember that prayer is first and foremost a communication with God. And uh, we're going to begin our study of the actual text of this prayer by looking at one phrase together, which goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. And there is more there than we can ever get our arms around in the few moments that we have. God is our Father. It is amazing to me that in all the years of my walking with the Lord in the church and as a pastor and as a student of theology, that I have heard so very few sermons on the fatherhood of God. We usually visit it once a year during Father's Day, but we very seldom talk about this truth the truth that God is our Father. Now, men and women, it is no accident that God in his wisdom has given to us a metaphor with which all of us can identify. Not long ago, I was reminded of the awesome responsibility that I have as a human father to give my children an understanding of the love and grace and security that is found in the Father in heaven. I have counseled enough over the years to know that on many occasions, people who have struggled with their human father have also struggled with their heavenly father. A person who grows up with a father who is abusive will have a very difficult time making the transition into a loving relationship with his heavenly father without some very good help. A person who may grow up with a detached or absentee father 
is likely to have in his own heart the feeling that God in heaven is detached and uninterested in him. It's an awesome responsibility, is it not, as Christian fathers, that to some degree at least, we are modeling for our children a picture of Father God that will in some way touch the way they worship and live. I remember reading some time ago some words that were penned that help us come to grips with this truth. My little boy came to me one day and placed his tiny hand in mine and said, Daddy, what is God like? And I said, God is love and sunshine and all the good things that you know. And he smiled into my eyes and said, then Daddy, God must be just like you. I remembered that Jesus had said that God is like a father and I had to bow my head in shame that I as a father was so unlike God, end of quote. One of the greatest truths in all of the word of God is the truth of the fatherhood of God. And yet it is misunderstood often by people who read the scripture. As we talk about the person of our relationship, the person is God the father. And it is interesting to trace that word throughout the Bible and to discover that in the Old Testament it was not as it is today. In fact, the writers of the Old Testament had a much different concept of their relationship with God than we have in our church age. I am told that when the scribes who copied the Old Testament scriptures would come to the word for God, which was put together in a form without any vowels, it is the word Yahweh, that having written that word, they would then throw away their pen, never to use it again for any other writing. For once having written the word Yahweh, the pen was disqualified to write anything else. The men and women who worshiped God in the Old Testament had a great sense of fear and reverence for him. We would do well to learn some of that in our day of uh, easy relationships. But the other side of the picture was that there was very little personal intimacy or personal relationship with the Almighty God. It was done through the instruments of the tabernacle and the temple, but there was not that coming into the presence of God as we have in this side of the cross experience. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, you will discover that the word father as it relates to God is used fewer than 14 times. And in every situation that I have been able to research, it is used of God being the father of Israel, that Israel is the son, God is the father. But it is not used in the personal way that we find it in the New Testament. For instance, in the book of Exodus, we read, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. And the children to whom he refers are the children of Israel. He mentions it again in the 64th chapter of Isaiah and verse 8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. And it's again a relationship between God the Father and the nation of Israel. Isaiah understood that the nation of Israel had a son relationship to God, but it was national, not personal. What a tremendous difference there is when you cross over the threshold into the New Testament. 
While I understand the eschatological implications of the Gospels, you cannot get past Matthew before you are introduced to a whole new understanding of the fatherhood of God. For instance, in the sixth chapter of Matthew where the Lord's Prayer is recorded, in chapter six, verse one, we read that there is to be no reward of our father if our arms are done for the wrong reasons. In verse four, we are told that the father who seeth in secret rewards openly. In verse six, we are told that we're to pray to the father who is in secret and the father who is in secret will reward us openly. In verse eight, we are told that the father knoweth what things we have need of. In verse nine, we are told to pray our father, which art in heaven. And in verse 15, we are told that the father will not forgive us if we do not forgive those who have sinned against us. Over and over again in that section of scripture, right across the threshold in the New Testament, we see a whole new approach to the fatherhood of God. It is no longer national, it is now individual and personal. In fact, the word father occurs some 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone. If you widen the context of the Sermon on the Mount to the four gospels, you will discover that Jesus Christ himself referred to the Father more than 70 times. Now what made the difference? Why is it different now than it was then? Why do we have not a national relationship with Father God, but a personal relationship? I'm glad you asked, because I was gonna answer it whether you asked or not. And I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and I want to show you a wonderful scripture that will help us understand that truth. Galatians chapter 4 is the text, and I love this passage of scripture because it glorifies the relationship that God has provided for those who love him. Galatians chapter 4, and I want you to notice in this passage of scripture what took place that put us into this new relationship. Have you got your Bibles open? All right, notice verse four and follow along as I read. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born unto the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive, now watch this, the adoption as sons. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now watch this. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. Do you get the picture? <laughs> Until God sent forth his son, born of a woman, in the fullness of time, our relationship was different. <laughs> It wasn't like it is now. When that veil was torn, when Christ died on the cross, a whole new way of approach to God was opened up to us. And whereas before we are classified as slaves or servants, God has now changed that whole status and he's made us sons and he's put his Holy Spirit within our hearts so that now you and I can call God Father in the most endearing term in all of the word of God. We are sons of the Father. In the Old Testament, we were servants. In the New Testament, we are sons. And in 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we 
should be called the sons of God. When I think about looking up into the face of a loving heavenly father who cares for me and cares for me more than the most intense love I know as a human, I can say with John, what manner of love is that? What an incredible thing that is. The fatherhood of God and our relationship to him has a bearing on a number of doctrines in the word of God. For instance, the incarnation in Galatians 4, that whole relationship took a change when God sent forth his son born of a woman. But then he mentions the Holy Spirit. Not only is the incarnation involved, but the day of Pentecost is involved as well. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit changed everything. When the church was born, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And because of that, we are now able to call God our Father. He is our Father. And Jesus Christ, always referring to God as my Father, shows us the way of the relationship between a son and his Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now... The father part of that phrase is all about intimacy. That's the person. But the place that is mentioned here kind of puts a different twist to it and brings to the passage the tension we always find in the scripture. Have you noticed that? That God by his Holy Spirit has built tension into the word of God in a magnificent way so that we never go off in one direction too far, but the truth is held together in a kind of insoluble relationship so that we are held at the right place. For instance, if I am only taught that God is my father, then I have a tendency to move over into that realm of flippancy, that kind of extra familiarity, the slanguage that is often developed up around religion and personal relationship with the Father, such as the big dodger in the sky or the man upstairs or whatever. I don't like those terms because I don't think they reflect the true majesty and greatness of who God is. But when we get over here on this side, my father, we get into the intimate part of our relationship, we might have a tendency to do that. If it were not coupled together with the rest of this truth, our father who are in heaven, he's in heaven. And that reminds us that the earth is his footstool and that he is a God of majesty and might who is worthy of our praise and of our worship. He is the glorious king. He is surrounded by the angelic host. In whatever way you wish to imagine it, he sits on the throne of majesty and at his right hand is his son, Jesus Christ. He is ministered to by all the creatures of glory. Think of all the regality that you know in this world, the domain of the kingdom of this world, and multiply it by a hundred times a hundred, and you haven't touched anything of the glory and majesty of the Father who is in heaven. He's in heaven. I don't know about you, but that strips my gears. How do you do that? I mean, you just get on telling me he's your Father, and now you tell me he's up in heaven. One time you say, I think he's approachable, the next time I wonder how I'm going to get through. How many of you remember years ago when John F. Kennedy was the president and Life Magazine published a whole series of photos of his children? Do you remember those pictures of John and Caroline playing with their toys on the floor of the Oval Office? Do you remember that? Those captured the hearts of the American people like nothing ever that has come out of a president's family before or after. Why? 
Because I think in some ways it bridged the gap between these two thoughts. Here was the president of the United States with two little kids playing with toys on the floor of the Oval Office. Now, I don't think your kids would have been allowed to do that, nor mine. But his kids were. Why? He was their father. He was the president of the United States. He was their father. He's in heaven. He's my father. That's the way it is with the father in heaven, isn't it? When you became a son, when you were adopted into the family of God as the son of God, he opened up for you through his son's death on the cross a way of fellowship and relationship that makes it possible for you to bypass going to the temple with an animal sacrifice and talking to God through a priest you can go right into the presence of God Almighty and he will hear you, though I don't understand how he does it. If it all happens on Wednesday, he will hear you. He will hear you. Because you're his son, you're his daughter, and he's your father. There is a verse of scripture that puts that all together, and I'd ask you to look it up, but I don't want to lose you. So you let me read it to you, all right? I want you to hear this. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Listen to this verse. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. <laughs> wow. Do you get that? He says, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy, who dwells in the high and holy place. Oh, and by the way, also with those who are of a humble and contrite spirit with you and me. Incredible. He is our father who is in heaven. And your relationship to him should be built like that. I should just pause for a moment to say that there is enough in this little phrase to destroy atheism. For it says, our father who art. <laughs> and in that phrase alone, atheism is finished. I can't imagine an atheist ever praying the Lord's Prayer. You know, one of the sad things about being an atheist is who do you thank when something goes good? I mean, what do you do? This prayer does away with atheism and it brings into a relationship God's children. Did you know that one of the names that is used for this prayer, I think it's a Latin word, it's the word paternoster, P-A-T-E-R-N-O-S-T-E-R, paternoster. You know what that is? That is the first two words of the prayer, our father. It's almost as if the name of the prayer has been taken in that little word to describe our relationship with God. Let me ask you a question, class. Do you relate to God like that? Are you in fellowship with him? You know, my fathering has changed a lot. How many of you know that just when you figure out what it's supposed to be like, they're all gone? I finally figured out fathering, and now my kids are all gone. And I learned a lot about being a father, and my fathering has moved into a whole new realm. I'm fathering long distance. Now, if I'm like that as a earthly father with limited resources. How do you feel 
about the Father in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll pay for it all. And he's waiting for you to walk into his presence in prayer. Our Father who are in heaven. If it is true that he is our Father and we are his sons, then there are four things that I want you to remember because of that. If he is our father and we are his sons and daughters, then number one, we have a new relationship, don't we? It's a whole new thing that happens when we're saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us and we are born into the family of God. And Romans 8, 39 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are his eternally. We belong to him. We are born into his family and you can't be unborn. He is ours. Nothing can separate us. Go and read Romans 8. Look at the whole list that is presented there of the things that might potentially separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you. You have a relationship that is eternal with God the Father. I have said to my children, each of them individually and probably all of them together on more than one occasion, our love for you is unconditional. No matter what you do, we will love you. You cannot do anything to destroy our love. It is unconditional. And that is human love, but God's love goes beyond that. It's a whole new relationship. Number two, it says in Galatians chapter four that we are heirs of God. Romans eight says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Listen to me, friends. God put me in his will. He wrote me in his will. He put me in as an inheritance. And when Jesus Christ died, the will was executed. I'm just waiting for my inheritance. And he'll never write me out. One of these days, because I'm his son, I am going to inherit everything that is mine by virtue of the fact that I belong in the family. I've got a whole new reward to look forward to because I'm a son and he's my father. And that sets the tone for this prayer because it is really a father uh, teaching his children how to talk to him. How do you talk to your heavenly father? What do you bring to him? What do you ask for? What do you declare? And we're going to learn about that throughout this month as we talk about prayer, the great adventure. Uh, There's a resource for the month. It's a book called The Prayer Answer Book, Answers to Questions About Prayer. It's 146 pages, hardcover in the genre of the answer books that we have done in the past, and it will help you uh, find the answers to some of the practical and spiritual questions that you have about praying. Someone once told me, if you want to empty out your church, announce that you're going to speak for a whole month on prayer. And uh, then they kind of laugh and said, that's not really true, but it has a hidden meaning because most people are really intimidated when you talk about prayer. And why are we intimidated? Because we all know we don't pray as we should, and sometimes we don't know how to pray. Jesus wants to help us. And in this prayer that is the response to the disciples' question and invitation, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And we can learn much from the outline he gave to them. It still works today. It's a very powerful thing. Well, today, uh, we are finishing up part one of the relationship of prayer. We'll be back tomorrow with part two. Uh, Thursday and Friday, the, the lesson 
is totally devoted to that phrase, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? And we'll be talking about that on Thursday and Friday. Throughout the whole month, Prayer of the Great Adventure, there's a book by that name that you can get from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. This is the book from which the series comes. It is a paperback book now, and it's, well, it's 265 pages long, has its own index, and everything I'm going to talk about is in this book. You can order it from Turning Point, and uh, for a gift of any size during the month, ask for your copy of Answers to Questions About Prayer, the 146-page answer book on prayer. We're so happy to have you with us. I hope you're getting excited about this series and get the resources that will help you. We'll see you tomorrow right here on this good station. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Prayer, the Great Adventure, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Prayer, with 50 questions and answers to fortify your prayer life. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions available in your choice of cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue Prayer the Great Adventure here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. When I make travel plans, I sometimes log on to one of the weather websites to get a weather outlook for my destination. I can get a forecast for the next day, the weekend, five days out or ten days out. Temperatures, the likelihood of rain, everything I need to know. While we marvel at the ability and accuracy of these predictions, 
may pale in comparison to the prophecies of the Bible. Some of God's forecasts go 10 centuries into the future, not just 10 days. And unlike the weather forecast, not a single one of God's prophecies has ever failed to come true. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's plans for the future on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.